You're listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. For someone to explain. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Okay, welcome to episode number eight of the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Ray McLean. Ray is an expert in leadership and team culture and founded the comp- co-founded the company Leading Teams in 1992, where he developed a model that would help teams to align behaviours and actions with their values. Leading Teams have been, has employed this model extensively in sporting organisations ranging from Aussie rules, basketball, netball and rugby, among others, as well as in the private sector. Before starting Leading Teams, Ray worked as a leadership officer with the Australian Air Force for six years. And also, like myself, was a phys ed teacher for uh, 10 years. Uh, he's published two books, one called Any Given Team and the other called Teamwork. I read uh, Any Given Team 10 years ago, and as a result, I subsequently changed the majority of my coaching. Um, so I'm really excited to have uh, Ray on the show. So welcome, Ray. Thanks very much. Nice to be here. Yeah, cheers. Um, all right, so um, I, I touched a little bit on your backstory there with the uh, phys ed teaching and the Air Force and, and things mm. like that. Can you go into a bit more detail on, on how you got to where you are now? Yes, um, the I guess the evolution of this model um, came from my mm. time in the Air Force. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. We had, um, um, I, I was posted to the Maritime Patrol Group and part of that was to actually um, develop a, a, a team and leadership model. Yeah. Uh, um, I guess what had happened was that what we were finding was that the teams were very well trained technically, mm-hmm. but sometimes there was a, a real difference in the way they performed, and so we were finding more it was about the behaviour and the dynamics, if you like, of the teams that affected performance. And I, I, I guess in, you know, in short, that's what led me into the sporting field because it, it almost lined up with that notion that um, sometimes you'll see a very talented team and you'll yeah. wonder why they haven't been able to maximise that talent. And conversely, where you'll see sometimes a team which doesn't appear on the surface to have as much talent, yet they seem to be more successful. So I guess that was really the the background and uh, the work then that I was doing was much more aligned to how do we unpack that dynamic or that culture, if you like. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um yeah, I think just on a rugby uh, kind of level, I think you're seeing you saw some of that in the start of the Rugby World Cup with a team like Japan uh, beating yep. South Africa. Like, they've yep. obviously there's a great spirit and culture in that group, but mm. they're they're probably yeah. the average height of the South Africans. There was no taller Japanese player than the average height, so obviously they had some challenges too. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, uh, the challenge. Uh, whether it's a squad coming together for a world championship or whether it's actually a, a, a club situation where the the, uh, the squad's together on a more ongoing basis, the challenge is to see whether you can make that sustainable. So there's a there's an element about bringing a team together and then there's an mm. element about how much we can, um, you know, make that culture somewhat generational. Yeah. Um, so uh, I found... It really interesting the challenge between the two. So there's one bit about bringing the team together, 
building that dynamic. But there's another team about. Uh, there's another um, challenge in terms of making that uh, sustainable past. You know, one collective of players or one era. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why I've liked the work with some of the clubs we've worked at. You know, particularly in the AFL, um, I guess we're better known. But mm. um, when you see sides that are, have had a sustained period of success for 12, 15 years, that's, that's been uh, really satisfying because yeah. it means that, you know, the cultures had to be, um, I guess, it's become somewhat endemic uh, and, and spread through. So um, there's a sort of a challenge on the immediate part of bringing the team together, but there's also a challenge on making sure that, you know, you're, you're creating something that's sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think... Um uh, Sydney Swans are probably one of the the, the, the highlights of, of there in, in your Aussie rules era, right? Yeah, Sydney Swans and Hawthorne now. Mm-hmm. Hawthorne yeah. have won the last three premierships. And yeah, if you well. look at the AFL as an, as an industry or as a competition, the AFL itself has what they call an equalisation policy. So they have a salary cap. Yeah. Uh, they have a, a draft. And all of that is designed to make sure that at some stage, clubs ebb and flow and everyone will get a chance to yeah. be successful. Yeah. Um, and, and what we find, the work we're doing, we're actually trying to fight that. Yeah, um, we're absolutely. saying if you can build a sustainable culture, then you can actually, um, you know, almost fight the system. Mm. And, and that's exactly what Hawthorne and Sydney have done. If you look back over the past probably 10 to 15 years, yeah. uh, Geelong Football Club's another one, where they really haven't dropped out of the top four uh, yet you've had some other teams that have consistently been hovering in the bottom part of the table. Mm, yeah, and that and and the explanation I think there is that um, uh, some value very much the idea of building a strong culture and a yeah. culture of aligned values, if you like, and strong leadership, yeah. player leadership. Yeah, and some haven't quite got that. So um, I, I think um, yeah, there's been some good examples of where um, we've had that more ongoing success. Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, you know the word culture is probably extremely overused in sport. I mm. don't think a lot yes, of people absolutely. actually understand what like what what would your definition be of a of culture or a team that shows good yeah. that, that's there's well, evidence the, of the, good culture. Well, the simplest definition that I use for culture really is. Um, the the behaviour that you accept or you don't mm. uh, on a team. Yeah. So and being able to have that conversation about that openly within the team. So mm. um, if when I go into an organisation, when I go into a team, for example, I'll start with a really basic set of questions that I expect the players to be able to furnish the answers with. But uh, two or three words that you use to describe your team, or that opposition might use to describe your team. And what are some of the behaviours you might accept from one another that you know are less than high performing? And yep. you really you really start to build a framework, and then you and then the whole notion of empowering the athletes somewhat and having that player led, um, I guess, group is that they in the end you you expect them to self manage. So yeah. at Hawthorne or at Sydney, for example, if a player were to step outside what the team considers to be reasonable guidelines they've set, it would be more likely another club encourage you back into line. Yeah. Um, coach, for example. So it's very much about creating that. So the cultural piece is really behaviour we accept or don't. Uh, and, um, and I think from there, then allowing a team to take responsibility for that is pivotal. Yeah, okay, cool. So, so in your opinion, then, if you have 
if you have two equally balanced teams, the the deciding factor then on on performance is is going to be that team's culture and how functional it is. Yes, I think so, and I think um, uh, if you look at that that the discussion that players usually have around behaviour that's accepted or not is going back into training standards, preparation standards, mm. and ultimately what you see. Say if you were to watch the Hawthorne Football Club even last week in the grand final, yeah, that senior core of players, they actually, they drive the on-field standards and yeah. they and they drive the on-field um, performance. So um, if you've got a situation where the coach is the one who has to relay the message to make a change um, or, or adjust, um, that's quite time-consuming. But mm. if you've got a group of senior players who have a really clear understanding of how we want the game played and what the standards are, um, it enables them to take more, um, again, more responsibility for on-field performance. But um, it's it's like that all the way through the week. So if they saw someone who, uh, you know, wasn't delivering the required effort to, at training, then you know you get a reminder from your peers. Um, whereas, um, again, in in weaker teams or, or teams that don't maximise performance, what I find is that you'll have players sometimes who can see a standard that's being breached. And they almost ask the question amongst one another, when's the coach going to do something about it? Yeah, exactly. And so that's the pivotal difference. Instead of instead of standing back waiting for someone else to do something, we say, you know, in terms of definition of leadership, we say that leadership is if you see something, you say something or do something. So we, we see teamwork and we see leadership as being very much action based. Yeah, absolutely. I, I yeah, I like that I use that line often: see something, say something. Yeah. Uh, with my teams, and yeah, um, yeah it's, it's yeah. very effective, very very empowering too. Can can this stuff happen organically, or does it, it? It's imperative that it needs to be facilitated by a coach to, to guide it. Uh, look, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I think it. Well, you know, if you go back to successful teams in the past, there's probably somewhere it has happened organically or mm. through you know a, a coach that um, was effective in that area. But I think, again, the difference, uh, I if you look at Hawthorne's history, if we use them as an example, they had probably that organic system, if you like, in the 1980s where they won five premierships. Yeah, so absolutely. a powerhouse yeah. competition. But then you'd ask the question, why did they go to the bottom and almost go to extinction mm. um, by, you know, the late 90s? Now, that was because... I think that that's that's the point I was making before. You can get that organic growth or that period where you have a little bit of success in an era. To me, the challenge is to make sure that that's not lost. And I think that's what probably happened to Hawthorne in those days is that somehow it was, you know, organic's the word you've used, but somehow it's that organic growth and we don't really know it happens. It, it just seems to happen and yeah. there's a bit of strength in leadership we have around the place, but we're not quite sure how that occurred. And then the coach moves on. And a couple of key figures, and yeah, all of a retire. sudden, we, yeah. we don't know quite where we're going. So that's why I think that the idea of of having a more structured, slightly more structured approach, and having someone who can facilitate that process, obviously, I I think is important. But it's important as much as anything for the long term, rather than just the short term. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. 
The answer is yes, I think it can sort of grow organically, but it's usually reliant on a couple of important individuals. And if you don't know who they are and they leave, well, then you can find yourself lost. <laughs> You're in trouble, yeah. And so we're, we're talking about having the whole collective take responsibility for, yeah. you know, the, the, their behaviour and, and performance. Sure. Okay. Well, you, you touched on it a little bit earlier, um, like when you work with a team for the first time, um, you yep. talked about um, how do others view us? How how do we want to be viewed? Those kind of things. How how would you how would you go through that process with a team, and how would, how does it grow over time? Um, you, as I said, the first the first part for us is to make sure that the team uh, agree a behavioural framework, if you like. Now, some people call that values or their code yep. or whatever. Sometimes we use the language of their trademark, but yeah. It's, it's getting people to engage in that conversation about what, what do you really see in the team. Um, and uh, I've had some teams start from a really low base where they might say, oh, the way opposition see us is we're a bit weak or a bit fragmented or whatever, whatever it might be. It doesn't matter where you start. It's about getting the agreement about where you get to. And yeah. then from there, um, you, you identify those key behaviours. So the players need to be involved in that. And that Early days, that was probably a pretty significant shift because a lot of times in sport, uh, under a more bureaucratic model, the coach was the one who came in and told the players, this is how it will be. Yeah. So just the fact that you engage the players in the conversation is important. Um, the other thing that's then required is to be able to actually build, you know, I guess relationships and teams strong enough so that we can actually challenge one another if we need to around those behaviours. So... Um, there's, there's, in the end, what you're creating, I guess, is an environment where people can have the more genuine conversation with one another. Uh, and so when that happens, you find that reviews become more effective. Um, you, 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 you can actually save time because conversations are a bit more pointy and, and, you know, instead of wandering and perhaps then not quite getting to the point and then afterwards players congregating in groups and having a bit of a whinge and a moan, um, you put everything on the tape. And, and I think, um, you, you know, that's how I start. The, yeah. other, the other part for us, which is really important, is you also start to identify some of the pivotal leaders within the group. And that's done, again, in a very open and consultative way. So Sydney Swans, Hawthorne, doesn't matter who it is, each, each year... As a part of our program, they would each player would be able to select the four or five people that he trusts most to lead, and that would be read out loud in front of the group, and we'd keep those numbers, and then we would find a leadership group from there. So we're very much about having the right leaders in place. So that's really the basis to start with, get a clear behavioural frame, yep. um, really strong relationships in the team, create the environment where you can have those open conversations, and then that adds great power to your leadership ship and then on from there you know your your capacity to plan you so that's really how it flows yeah yeah and i think uh like like i said like reading your book i've read it a couple of times but reading the book um that that's like i follow that plan with every every team i coach now and i just i, I love the process and i think the process i love the most is is watching yeah. watching the whole uh peer review concept grow over time and how initially there's a lot of uh, trepidation, hmm. and then once they realise, hey, this is a, a safe place, and I'm able to be honest and open, watching it grow, it, it's quite a quite an amazing experience. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, that's not the most pivotal part to what we do, but it's certainly important. It's just educating players to be able to have those conversations. So, you know, we've seen some really good examples of where players have probably been given plenty of advice by a coach over the journey, but when they hear the message from their peers, they um, some for some reason, I suppose, it's because they do value their peers very strongly, but for some reason we find that um, you can often get a pretty strong response from players um, when we're having those sorts of conversations, so that's yeah. good. Yeah, and how, how do you run those peer review processes? Is it is it small groups, large groups, you mix it up? Yeah, yeah, we... We would have break into small groups, and if we're reviewing a player, um, you get, get each group to report back in. Um, if we're doing a review, uh, I just last week I finished a, an end of year review with the Collingwood players, so I broke them into small groups and mm-hmm. gave them some key questions, and they all come back in and reported back. And, and very again, it's, it's the extension of having those honest conversations with one another, but it's um, reinforcing that we value your opinion. It's your team, so why wouldn't we consult you? Yeah. Um, and I remember when I first started at Sydney many years ago, Paul Roos, who was the coach, was a fairly, you know, he played 350 games yeah. in the AFL, so he's a pretty well-decorated player. And he, the point he made to me was the reason why I guess he embraced the model was that he always felt that, he played 350 games and he can't really recollect when a coach asks his opinion. Um, <laughs> it's unreal, eh? you know, So, you know, the, to me, there's just untapped resources in there. So the more that you can get into them, um, the better. Yeah. So I, I suppose, um, you know, the next part of that is um, you've set the values, you've set the standards, you've got peer review. Mm. Uh, I suppose after that, there's got to be uh, accountability. has got to play a, a pretty big role in this process, right? Yeah, well, I think that's just ongoing. You know, mm. if you've, we, we talk about creating an environment where there's high expectation, high accountability and high demand. And so um, if you, the whole idea of you, you know, if you play a game and the game might not go as well as what you'd hoped, that accountability should begin almost immediately. Now, that that's in a couple of ways for us. One of them is to have the player in really honest and frank terms, assess his own game and then be prepared to come and be ready for the review so that he can engage in that. And and we review, you know, team level and then down to individual level. So the accountability is just a natural flow of the process. It's not something separate to it. It's, um, um, yeah, it's a, a fundamental requirement, if you like. Yeah, and I suppose the leadership group there that's been a player elected is, is pretty pivotal to that too If uh, in certain areas. Yeah, well, the player, the player leaders um, have high, high... Like, they're the ones who we have higher expectations of in some ways. We, we expect a, a consistent level of performance from them and we expect them to be able to take a lead role in the review process. So, um, you know, there's examples of where now... Um, some of the leadership groups I work with would have footage of things they really liked against their cultural trademark, if you yeah. like. Um, so they would show those and reward players, but just as much as they might show some footage and say that is well below what we expect, you know. So we involve the leaders in, you know, in many ways in, in those processes, um, either review or, or leading into a game about setting expectations. So, yeah, yeah they, do have a, they do have a pivotal role. And, and what, what about experiences with players um, resisting the process? Uh, I remember reading in uh, any given team um, some some examples of that. What? Uh... 
Oh, I think there's, you know, in any team, there's sometimes players who don't like to be held to account. Yeah. Um, they may be star players who have never, um, have, have only, I guess, been allowed to do as they want to do because they're so talented. Yeah. Um, clearly, ultimately, we think that doesn't work. So um, I think there's uh, there's two parts of really genuinely trusting a player. One is their competence. So have they got the skills to do the job and can they apply their skills under pressure? And the other side of trusting them is their character and that is are they good for their word and would they put the team's needs in front of their own if they had to? Yeah. And, um, and I just find, you know, the players that can't bend somewhat toward team, uh, and it's not a blind obedience, it's just asking them to... Um, adhere to the core parts of the behaviour that we've agreed. Um, if they don't, strong teams make hard decisions and, and I think that separates out strong and weak teams, to be absolutely honest. I think you can see some of the weak teams being held to ransom almost by some players and then yeah. on the other side um, you can see clubs where or teams where the decision's been made that we are a team and, uh, you know, um, uh, if you don't want to buy into that, well, you can always ply your trade somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure, sure it's come to that rarely, but occasionally. Um, yeah, that's right. On occasions, there's been examples of it, and that's okay. Um, yeah. It, you know, um, I think as long as... The thing about having the model in place is that it, then if you do move someone on, the other players have clarity about why that happened. They can yeah. actually sit back and go, you know what, that was fair enough, because yeah. he, he wasn't... He wasn't really coming with us anyway, so I think I think that's one of the other parts of the program, which is which has been really positive, is that it creates clarity around behaviour, and, yeah. and uh, you don't have those double standards which sometimes exist. Okay, yeah. Well, then if if moving on with like resisting, what if what if the organisation that you're working with initially is is all guns yeah. blazing, and then they're they're their their interest starts to wane or their their belief in it starts to wane. What that's got to that's got to have a pretty strong effect. Uh, yes, it does. You you what I believe to get the our program to be of benefit to an organisation is not just about us being there. It's about we we need to we're 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 a service organisation. We need to be able to assist teams to win ultimately. Um, uh, if you don't have the key centres of influence mm-hmm. on board, yeah. then you ultimately you push, you shove, you question, you do all those sorts of things. But if if you don't get that movement, you you move off. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, you move on. That's all. Yeah. Um, um, we've we've had some teams where in the end we've sat down and had that sort of harder conversations. You know, really, if the coach is not on board or uh, the key senior players are not on board, well, you know, why would you bother? Um, we we don't we're not um, uh, what would you say we 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 accept that there's more than one way to skin a cat yeah uh, we think we've found a really good model uh, that uh, in sport now has uh, led a lot of teams to uh, quite a lot of success over twenty years so yeah I guess we just adopt a view that somewhere we might have been doing something right yeah absolutely yeah. And speaking of success, you um, you were also working with the Australian Diamonds netball team, who Correct. who recently had some some great success. Can you talk a little bit about that? And also, you know, maybe for some of the coaches who are involved in women's rugby, is there is there do you notice any differences working with women's sporting groups rather than male sporting groups? For for me, there wasn't the the Diamonds. 
it was hard nosed driven team as I've worked with. Yeah, um, they they desperately want success. Um, they happen to be female athletes rather than male. But I, I haven't seen like to me that the male female thing is not really that relevant. Yeah. I think you know the diamonds. What they did was embrace the idea of having a trademark. They embraced the idea of selecting their leadership team. And those leaders over a period now have taken them to gold medal at the Com Games and then the World Champs, which hadn't been done for 16 years. So yeah. what you had was this alternating between, say, if New Zealand won, if New Zealand won the gold at the Com Games, it seemed like Australia bounced back and won the World Champs, and they they were almost alternating. And one of the things that this team wanted to do was to make sure that they got the job done in both, mm. and was setting up a really strong culture. To move forward, and and I think they're doing that. Um, I think the lessons for women's rugby would be no different. In fact, yeah. we're also doing some work with the um, have done some work in the past with the Opals, and okay. we'll probably be doing some more work with them uh, next year, leading into the the Olympics. And it's the same thing again. If you've got athletes who have pride in performance, um, really interested in that high expectation, high accountability sort of environment, um, I, I think it can work anywhere, but it, it needs the support of what we go back and say before, the key centres of influence. So if the coach and the key players uh, in particular are not on board, well, then, you know, you'll struggle. So with the Diamonds, Lisa Alexander's, you know, been across our model for a while and she's she's been incredibly supportive um, and... Uh, when we selected the new leadership group going back, you know, three, three years or whatever it is now I've been involved, um, they just haven't put a, you know, foot wrong really. They've been really firm about standards, really firm about driving, training, you know, all those sorts of things. So, no, it's been uh, – I wouldn't see much difference in that sense. Yeah, great. Yeah, and no, I was more I was more coming at it like from a, from a coaching point of view. Um, like I was coaching some 17-year-old boys today and mm. – doing some push-pull question-answer stuff with them when it's the first time with you when you're with a group. Often that's that's quite difficult with 17-year-old boys, but with 17-year-old girls, I find it's it's a very they're, – they're straight into it and they, they want to ask questions and they want answers straight away. So I was more yeah, yeah. seeing if there was any Yeah, they've both been great. So yeah. I, you know, I, I just tend to go back and say how – to what extent your key centres of influence are invested – Will will dictate how far you go. So yeah. we, in fact, we have a quote that we've used, I've used for years now. Says those those with the most invested will always be the last to surrender. So you know that idea of if you can get their investment, well then you know they'll push and and yeah. buy things you know as far as they can. Um, so yeah, it's much more about the weight of numbers if you like. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that saying. That's cool. Um, what are, what are some what are some of the common mistakes you see with uh, coaches and leaders who who try to develop um, you know a positive positive culture within their team? What are some of the common errors you're, you're seeing people make? Not to engage the players enough in the building of the framework, so yeah. the coach is excited, and in the end, it looks more like theirs than the players. Yeah. Uh, uh, playing favourites, um, yeah. so. Um, when you select the leadership group, for example, you might have the star player who is not rated as highly by the players and you sort of find a way to fudge them into it. Mm. Um, I've, I've just said to coaches generally, if you think that players can't smell, you know, um, a bit of incongruency, um, then you're wrong. And then, again, not 
being prepared to hold people to account and get through tough times. So, you know, if you pull up short, if, if you're having a tough time of it and you bail out and try something else, then the players sort of uh, become conditioned then to, you know, if we lose a few games, we'll come up with another trick. Um, I think being able to say, no, there's no tricks. This is this is the way we've got to do it. And we've just got to wear it and get through it and, and we'll prevail. So mm. there are two or three of the things. Yeah, that's, and that, that second point about trying to fudge the leadership group, I... Like it amazes me every year. I do it with with all the teams that I coach. I probably coach three or four teams every year. Um, the team I pick, the leadership group that I pick, and the coaches pick that we kind of say this is kind of where I think they're going. It's nine times out of ten, it's spot on. The kids are seeing exactly yeah, yeah. what you're seeing, and yeah. the athletes are seeing yeah. exactly what you're seeing. Yeah, and you've also um, you also did uh, quite a bit of work with uh, the New South Wales Waratahs a few years ago. Um, can yeah. you can you discuss that work and how how that process went? Uh, yeah, we had. Um, I thought we had some really good results early. Chris Whittaker was captain, uh, yeah. who I, you know, I thought was fantastic. Uh, Ewan McKenzie was coach, and within the first two years, we'd actually played in a. It was a Super Fourteen, I think, then uh, yeah. final yeah. Um, uh, against the Crusaders over there, um, and then the following year made the playoffs again, um, and then. Um, I, you know, I think again it was a bit of a lack of support for the coach, so he went, and then Chris actually, ret- oh well, he went to Ireland to, to take That's up right, a contract, right? and I yeah. think it was just a shift in that dynamic. Um, so uh, they were a good example of a team where we felt we'd made some pretty good inroads, but in the end, you know, you lose two or three of the key people, uh, others come in who not necessarily clear about what you're doing, and so um, I moved on, and uh, you know they. Obviously, they've meandered a bit and they've had some success over, over time as well. So, you know, I've never had any sour grapes or anything. Yeah, I, I just thought that um, the, the inroads we made in the early days was pretty good, really. But, yeah. um, um, and again, under under really good leadership of Chris Whittaker. So. Yeah, and no, I, I, I was heartbroken when you and Mackenzie left the, the Wallabies. And one yeah. of the reasons was because of... You could see what he did with the Queensland Reds, and then was intending to do with the Wallabies. It's yeah. it, it's straight out of what what you guys had done with the Waratahs and what leading teams yeah. had done. And yeah, that was it. Yeah, was I real think so. I think some of those principles he would have been, you know, trying to trying to work in. But uh, but again, you you just to me, you, you've just got to be open and frank. You just say, okay, well, it looks like things have shifted. It looks like you've perhaps found another way. So you know, we'll move mm-hmm. on. And yeah. Good luck to you. So, yeah. so that's that's you know it's, uh, you, you try not to get too um, caught up in it. You just um, your job is to be honest about how you see the lay of the land, and if you see the if you see the the, the weight shifting, um, you just call it and yeah. then move on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what uh, was that? The only uh, rugby team that leading teams has worked with, or has there been others? No, we've had uh, we've had some of our guys work with a couple of the franchises in New Zealand. Okay. Um, uh, we have a guy at the moment uh, who has sort of started to uh, uh, a partnership with uh, Western Force. Okay, uh, with great. Michael Foley over there. So yeah, yeah. you know we we're, we're sort of um, I guess what we've what we've done as a group is is just tried to make sure that if we're going in somewhere, we're going in now a bit more informed than what we perhaps used to. I think you know, if you went back 10 years, people saw us as a bit of, oh, you know, if you get them in, things will happen. But mm. we now know that there's a certain there's, a, there's certainly guidelines you've got to be able to tick off before you go. So, you know, making sure you've got the relationship with the coach, making sure you've got those key people on board is really important. So, you know, we're, we're, 
we've still um, got other sports which we're across. We, you know, looks like this year we'll probably go back into rugby league again. Um, I would say certainly at Newcastle now that Nathan Brown's been appointed coach there and, That's you know, right. possibly one other. So, you know, we've had a presence across a lot of sports, but I guess we've learned along the way that, you know, if you're starting from behind the eight ball, you just don't go. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's, how, that's how that works. Okay, great. Yeah, and, and what about probably the last one, and then I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up. What about yep. um, what, what, are, what are some of the similarities or key differences with the work you do in, in the private sector compared to sporting environments? And are there any kind of messages um, I think, there? Yeah, I think there's some real similarities. I think the challenge for leadership in the private sector is to be able to um, have that uh, absolute clarity of purpose that people come to work um, for um, so that, you, you know, you can engage them. Um, I think that uh, your capacity as a leader is in a corporate environment to engage people and empower them, have them feel as though, you know, they're important, they've got a role to play. There's lots of things that are very, very common, um, and we've seen some great results. It doesn't matter what. I, I guess that was the reason for the title of the first book was any given team. We've worked in a wide range of, of corporate environments now and had some good results in lots of different ones. So, uh, But the principles are the same. You know, um, Get an agreement about how we're going to behave together. Get, it, get, get some buy into the sort of culture we want. Identify people who can lead that. Um, get Make sure that we we commit to reviewing and and um, and being frank about um, you know performance and behaviour, and um, yeah, you know, I, I see I've seen no reason why corporate groups can't um, you know really lock in and, and get great benefit out of it. I I think there was a terrific line in the in the book Good to Great which said good is the enemy of great, and I think that's what happens in corporate land sometimes mm. is that if the bottom line's okay. You know, why would we stir things up? We just and, and you get into that groove of going along okay. Yeah. Um, but we're we're very much about that higher end. You know, do you want to be do you want to be really high performing in a great team? And and sometimes you know that takes that takes work to get yourself from you know that good level where everything's okay. Why would we tamper with it to the great level? So um, you know, we we've certainly found lots of opportunities in there. That's uh, great. Yeah. No. The, the the your book teamwork uh, really covers a lot of there's so much variety there in the different different teams yes. you work with and and I like there, there was one about um I think they were a car detailing group or something like that yeah. and and they had the you know the issue with uh, when when's when when can we relax around the culture and they they had the concept of when the polo shirts are off. You're you're off the yep. clock and you can kind of chill out a little bit and yep. I just thought that was great and that, I I stole that and used that from one of my yep. teams so I think I think yep. there's lots of lessons there yeah and if no, if people want to get hold of your books where's where's the best way to get leading uh, on our website's the easiest way yep. yeah um, so that's www.leadingteams.net.au um, okay um, and um, yeah they're they're both available there so uh, and and of course on the on the website there's other I guess um, you know, we've all tried to continue to write as well. So there's other, you know, there's other articles and things like that that support the work we do. So um, you know, it's probably not a bad place to to look if um, if people are interested in the work we do. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, are you are you uh, are you guys on on Twitter or on uh, Facebook or most of your yep. stuff's done yeah, through you? Yeah, all of all of all of those. So okay. uh, again, all of those contact details would be available uh, through the website. Perfect, perfect. That's great. Well, I'll definitely put that up on. Uh, 
on the show's website and um, and and your books as well as I, I might throw good to great up there as well so people can have a look at that if they're interested. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we, we always end the show with four questions. Um, you're not from a rugby background, so um, no. we can we can throw Aussie. throw some Aussie rules players in there if you want. Um, that that's no problems. But I, I always ask guests like their favourite kind of player when they were a kid growing up or athlete when they were growing up. Did you have one in particular? Oh, look, when I was a kid growing up, I was a Richmond supporter in the AFL. Yeah. So you know, player like Royce was too. Yeah, Royce Hart probably. Okay. He was around my as a kid. He was yeah. he was a great player then, so he would be one. Um, yep. So great, right? We'll, and we'll, um, we'll go with Royce Hart. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll have to look him up because um, I'm not across the Aussie rule uh, the Aussie rules guys. But my grandfather yep. was a massive Richmond fan, so he'll be yep. disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> what about what about your your favourite current players or rugby players that you've worked with? I, Chris Whittaker. Again, I, I, the things that I. I know my favourite one really was going back to Chris Whitaker because yeah. I could see, you know, really a, a quiet and amiable sort of fella who did team so well. You know, like when he was with the Wallabies, it was well for years. He was um, George Gregan's understudy, yeah, and it, he just never complained about anything. That's and at great. the Waratahs, he, he even though he was a quiet guy, he was so strongly influential. Um, so I, I was always a great rep for him. Um, just to see that leadership doesn't have to be loud, boisterous, you know, always in your face. You know, he was a guy who was, who was, um, you know, really, uh, yeah, a, a pretty quiet and level sort of fella. But he, he commanded, um, I thought, really good respect among the group. So he was, he was a favourite of mine. And current, current day, I suppose, you know, I'm, because we did some work with Melbourne Storm, I suppose I've, I've you know, I've followed Israel Folau a bit yeah. more closely than. Most he's a bit of a. I think he's a favourite of everyone's, but oh, uh, unreal. We'll, yeah. we'll say that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think Chris Whitaker. Just back to him, like you know, the fact that he went to Leinster to finish mm. off his career and ended up being vice captain as a as a yep. foreigner. I think that speaks volumes. I would have thought so. Yeah, he's a he was a ripping fella. Yeah, great. Uh, okay, and what about what about coaches? Who who are some of the coaches you've worked with that you've been really impressed with? Um, oh, look, there's been quite a few. I, I guess, uh, you know, again, if you skipped across the, the codes, they've all, they've all, I've learned a lot off each of them. But I, in um, in basketball in Australia here, Brian Gorge, and I thought was an outstanding coach. His record, his record is, you know, is so far above most others. It, it's not funny. Um, uh, he's currently coaching in China. Okay. Um, you know, again, I enjoyed the work with you and I found him to be a measured and, a, and really inquisitive sort of coach. You know, he questioned you on everything, which was he's good for your own development. Yeah. Um, uh, and in, in um, you know, in the AFL, certainly Paul Ruse was very good to me. Um, uh, and also, you know, working with Al Clarkson, when you see a guy who's starting to put together the dynasty that he is, um, you know, there's lots to learn from guys like that. So, you know, there's, there's a few, but then you'd, I'd add Lisa, Alexander, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, working with the Diamonds has been a great experience for me. So I guess I've been fortunate. You know, I've got to work with so many good coaches and, and you just find yourself yeah. being able to continue your own personal growth and development by being with them. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's been yeah. a great way to work. Yeah. yeah. And what, what about a, a lesser-known coach who's, who's chipping away and working hard who, who de- deserves a mention? I thought... Nathan Brown, uh, he was a very young coach when he was coaching the Dragons. Yeah, and, true. and he ended up, um, he ended up you know, uh, they, they uh, finished him up. He went to 
London, and I kept track and kept in touch with him. Uh, and he, he coached um, uh, in the end. He, he coached um, St Helens to a um, premiership last season, okay. and then came back to Australia. But I think you know he's a, he. I was linked to Brownie a little bit because he, he was so young when he got the job that probably too young, mm. um, and and you know he's had some real struggles in between time. But um, um, I, I think uh, you know the way that he's evolving and now he gets another chance at Newcastle. And that's going to be a tough assignment. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll watch him with interest and probably end up doing some work with him as well. Yeah, so great. that'll be good. Well, that's yeah. my that's my hometown, Newcastle. So uh, I'm, I'm uh, well, we excited. Hope, that hope we can. Get- Hope we can get something happening there because it's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if, they need. Uh, <laughs> they need. Uh, they need to um, get a really good plan together to move forward. So we're hopeful that that'll all happen uh, now. That'd be great. I'll be watching that with a lot of interest. That's fantastic. All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, this is. I've really enjoyed this. It's been great, and um, you know, thanks. Thanks for volunteering your time and having a having a chat with us. It's been it's been really enjoyable at my end. No worries at all. Pleasure. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Thanks very much, Ray. Okay, thanks a lot. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at RugbyCoachSCNR or via the website at TheRugbyCoachesCorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.